Are you ready? So, okay, I'll just go back into a corner and then I'll talk to you, okay? There are people around here. Not exactly people. There's, they're just, um, how do you say it uh, casually? Spirits? Ghosts? Yep. Okay, I'm safe. Yes, I'm in Hades. And I'm sure so is Percy, Annabeth, and Grover. It's just that it's creepy down here. I am positive I saw my dead ancestor right over there. Hi, guys. Okay, that was... um. He actually didn't raise back at me because he is not my ancestor. So, well, uh, nevertheless, let's... Hello, welcome to the 18th episode of the Percy Jackson Podcast. Ready to descend into the underworld? I'm sure a trio is. I Or I don't think they are. I don't know. I mean, is anyone actually ever ready to descend into the underworld? Yes, if you die, that's another thing. But, well, voluntarily going there, that's hell of a thing. So, the name of the chapter is Annabeth Does Obedience School. We stood in the shadows of Valencia Boulevard, looking up at gold letters etched in black marble, DOA Recording Studios. Underneath stenciled on the glass doors, no solicitors, no lottering, no living. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? It was almost midnight, but the lobby was brightly lit and full of people. Behind security deck sat a tough-looking guard with sunglasses and an earpiece. I turned to my friends. Okay, do you remember the plan? The plan. Grover gulped. Yeah, I love the plan. Annabeth said, what happens if the plan doesn't work? Don't think negative. Right, we're entering the land of the dead, and I shouldn't think negative. I took the pearls out of my pocket, the three milky spheres the Nereid had given me in Santa Monica. Didn't seem like much of a backup in case something went wrong. Annabeth put her hand on my shoulder. I'm sorry. Percy, you're right. We'll make it. It'll be fine. She gave Grover a nudge. Alright, he chimed in. We got this far. We'll find the master bold and savior, mom. No problem. I looked at them both and felt really grateful. Only a few minutes before, I almost got them stretched to death on deluxe waterbeds, and now they were trying to be brave for my sake, trying to make me feel better. I slipped the pearls back in the back of my pocket. Let's whop some underworld butt. We walked inside the DOA lobby. Mazak played softly on the hidden speakers. The carpet and walls were steel gray. Pencil cactuses grew in the corners like skeleton hands. The furniture was black leather and every seat was taken. There were people sitting on couches, people standing up, people staring out the windows and waiting for the elevator. Nobody moved or talked or did much of anything. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see them all just fine. But if I focused on any one of them in particular, they started looking, um, transparent? I could see right through their bodies. The security guard's desk was a raised podium, so we had to look up at him. He was tall and elegant, with chocolate-colored skin and bleached blonde hair shaved military style. He wore a tortoise shell shades and silk Italian toothed suit that matched his hair. A black rose was pinned to his label under a silver name tag. I read the name tag, then looked at him in bewilderment. 
Your name is Chiron? He leaned across the desk. I couldn't see anything in his glasses except my own reflection, but his smile was sweet and cold like a python's so right before it tries to eat you. What a precious young lad. He had a strange accent. British, maybe? But also as if he had learned English for a second language. Tell me, mate. Do I look like a centaur? No, no. So, he added smoothly. So, I said. He pinched the name tag and ran his finger under the letters. Can you read this, maid? It said C-H-A-R-O-N. Say it with me. Charon. Charon. Amazing. Now, Mr. Charon. Mr. Charon, I said. Well then, he sat back. I hate being confused with that old horse man. Now, how may I help you, you little dead ones? His question caught in my stomach like a fastball. I looked at Annabeth for support. We want to go to the underworld, she said. Charon's mouth twitched. Well, that's refreshing. It is? She asked. Straightforward and honest. No screaming. No, there must be a mistake, Mr. Charon. He looked us over. How did you die then? I nudged Grover. Oh, he said, um, drowned in a bathtub. All three of you? Charon asked. We nodded. Big bathtub. Charon looked mildly impressed. I don't suppose you have coins for passage. Normally with adults, you see, I could change your American Express or add the ferry price to your last cable bill, but with children, unless you never die prepared. Suppose you have to take a seat for a few centuries. Oh, but we have coins. I said I set three golden drachmas on the counter part of the stash at Farron Krusty's office desk. Well, now, Chiron moistened his lips. Real drachmas, real golden drachmas. I haven't seen these in. His fingers hovered greedily over the coins. We were so close. Then Charon looked at me. That cold stare behind his glasses seemed to be bore a hole through my chest. Here now, he said. You couldn't read my name correctly. Are you dyslexic, lad? No, I said. I'm dead. Charon leaned forward and took a sniff. You're not dead. I should have known. You're a godling. We have to get to the underworld, I insisted. Charon made a growling noise deep in his throat. Immediately, all the people in the waiting room got up and started pacing, agitated, lighting cigarettes, running hands through their hair, checking their wristwatches. Leave while you can, Charon told us. I'll just take these, I'll just take these and forget I ever saw you. He started to go for the coins, but I snatched them back. No service? No tip. I tried to sound braver than I felt. Charon growled again a deep, blood-chilling sound. The spirits of the dead started pounding on the elevator doors. It's a shame, too, I sighed. We had more to offer. I held up the entire bag from Krusty's stash. I took out a fistful of drachmas and let the coils spill through my fingers. Charon's growl changed into something more like a lion's paw. Do you think I can be bought, godling? Eh? Just out of curiosity. How much do you got there? A lot, I said. I bet Hades doesn't pay you well enough for such hard work. Oh, you don't know the half of it. How would you like to babysit all these spirits all day? 
Always, please don't let me be dead, or please let me cross for free. I haven't had a pay raise in 3,000 years. Do you mean having suits like this come cheap? You deserve better. I agree. A little appreciation, respect, good pay. With each word, I stacked another gold coin on the counter. Karen glanced down at his silk Italian jacket as if imagining him in something even better. I must say, lad, you're making some sense now, just a little. I stacked another few coins. I couldn't mention a Paris while I'm talking to Hades. He sighed. The boat's almost full anyway. I might as well add you three and be off. He stood, scooped up our money, and said, Come along. We pushed through the crowd of waiting spirits who started grabbing at our clothes like the wind, their voices whispering I couldn't make out. Caron shoved them out of the way, grumbling freeloaders. He escorted us into the elevator, which was already crowded with souls of the dead, each one holding a green boarding pass. Caron grabbed two spirits who were trying to get on with us and pushed them back into the lobby. Right. No one get any ideas while I'm gone, he announced to the waiting room. And if anyone moves the dial of my easy listening station again, I'll make sure you're here for another thousand years. You understand? He shut the doors. He put a keycard in the slot in the elevator panel and we started to descend. What happens to the spirits waiting in the lobby? Annabeth asked. Nothing. Charon said. For how long? Forever? Or until I'm feeling generous? Oh, she said that's... Fair. Caron raised an eyebrow. Whoever said that was fair, young miss, wait until it's your turn. You'll die soon enough. Like you're going. We'll get her alive, I said. Huh. I got a sudden dizzy feeling. We weren't going down anymore, but forward. The air turned misty. Spirits around me started changing shape. Their modern clothes flickered, turning into gray hooded robes. The floor of the elevator began swaying. I blinked hard. When I opened my eyes, Caron's creamy Italian suit had been replaced by a long black robe. His tortoise shell glasses was gone. Where his eyes should have been were empty sockets like Aries's, except Caron's were totally dark, full of night and death and despair. He saw me looking and said, Well, nothing. I managed. I thought he was grinning, but that wasn't it. The flesh of his face was becoming transparent, letting me see straight through his skull. The floor kept swaying. Grover said, I think I'm getting seasick. When I blinked again, the elevator wasn't an elevator anymore. We were standing on a wooden barge. Caron was pulling us across a dark, oily river swirling with bones, dead fish, and other stranger things. Plastic dolls, crushed carnations, soggy diplomas with gilt edges. The river sticks, Annabeth murmured. It's so polluted, Caron said. For thousands of years, you humans have been throwing in everything as you come across. Hopes, dreams, wishes that never came true. Irresponsible waste management, if you ask me. Mist curled up the filthy water. Above us, almost lost in the gloom, was a ceiling of stalactites. Ahead... The far shore glimmered with greenish light, the color of poison. Panic closed up my throat. What was I doing here? These people around me, they were dead. Annabeth grabbed hold of my hand. Under normal circumstances, this would have embarrassed me. But I understood how she felt. She wanted reassurance that somebody else was alive on this boat. 
I found myself muttering a prayer. Though I wasn't quite sure who was, who, who was I praying to, down here only one God mattered and he was the one I had come to confront. The shoreline of the underworld came into view. Craggy rocks and black volcanic sand stretched inland about 50 meters to the base of a high stone wall which marched off in either direction as far as we could see. A sound came from somewhere nearby in the green gloom, echoing of the stones, the howl of a large animal. Oh, three faces hungry, Charon said. His smile turned the skeleton in the greenish light. Bad luck for you, godlings. The bottom of a boat slid into the black sand. The dead began to disembark. A woman holding a little girl's hand, an old man and an old woman hobbling along arm in arm. A boy no older than I was shuffling silently along in his grey robe. Charon said, I'd wish you luck, mate. But there isn't any down here, mind you. You don't forget to mention my pay raise. He counted our golden coins into his pouch, then took up his pole. He warbled something like sound like a Barry Manila song as he ferried the empty barge back across the river. We followed the spirits up a well-worn path. I'm not sure what I was expecting. Pearly gates? Or a big back portcullis or something, but the entrance to the underworld looked like a cross between airport security and the Jersey Turnpike. There were three separate entrances under one huge black archway that said, You are now entering Erebus. Each entrance had a pass with a metal detector mounted with security cameras. Beyond this were tall boots manned by black robed girls like Charon. So, um, guys, before we continue any further, remember this is hell which we're talking about in greek terms so whatever you've heard from anywhere in any of the myths uh, legends in whatever culture just uh, ignore that stuff right now and just concentrate on the greek stuff so the greeks believe that uh, like the ferryman but english called it the ferryman we uh, they say that Charon, like uh, the ferryman he rode through the river sticks with the spirits of the dead and the entire that hell or underworld is actually called Hades. I know the god of the dead is called, also called Hades and the place is also called Hades so it's a bit confusing but uh, that's how it's done. So if you're wondering why it is, don't ask me, ask the dead Greeks around me. <laughs> that was funny. So there was this place where the fields of punishment or something like that, where if you do bad things, like really, really bad things in your life, you get punished severely there. Then there's the fields of asphodel, where normal people who live normal lives and did normal things, normal things, they were sent to these fields of asphodel. Then there was the Elysium which was the place where all the good and amazing and uh, amazing stuff in their lives, they went after their death. So according to here, the half-bloods went to Elysium, or more importantly, the Isles of the Blessed. That's if, that, that is, if you, uh, there's a court, like a court of law, like it happens, so you, go and stand in front of the jury or the judges and they decide whether you go to the fields of punishment, whether you deserve fields of punishment, whether you want to go to the Asphodel, whether, whether you should go to Elysium or, I don't know, if, see, if you get, 
Elysium or if you choose to be reborn like reborn not stay in any if you do such a good thing in your life then what you can do they you have to go to the river sticks and take a dip in that you can wash away all your memories of your previous birth and then take a rebirth if you achieve elysium three times like after reborn three times and achieve elysium three times then you get to stay in the isles of the blessed and it's like it's like the a 50 star hotel island i don't know in hawaiian 50 star island if you imagine that way do you remember just greek myths or i shouldn't say myths as i'm just talking about this but it is what it is so let's just resume there were three separate entrances under one huge black archway that said you are now entering erebus Each entrance had a pass-through metal detector mounted with security cameras. Beyond this were toll booths manned with black-robed cults like Charon. The howling of the hungry animal was really loud now, but I couldn't see where it was coming from. The three-headed dog Cerebrus, who was supposed to guard Hades' door, was nowhere to be seen. The dead, queued up in three lines, two marked attendant on duty and one marked S-Death. The S-Death line was moving right along. The other two were crawling. What do you figure? I asked Annabeth. The fast line must go straight to Asphodel. She said, no contest. They don't want to risk judgment from the court because it might go against them. There's a court for dead people? Yeah, three judges. They switch around who sits on the bench. King Minos, Thomas Jefferson, Shakespeare, people like that. Sometimes they, took, they look at a life and decide the person needs a special reward. The fields of Elysium. Sometimes it is hard punishment but most people will they just lived nothing special good or bad so they just go to the fields of Asphodel and do what Grover said imagine standing in a wheat field in Kansas forever harsh i said not as harsh as that Grover muttered look a couple of black robed cults had pulled aside one of the spirit and was screaming at the security desk the face of the dead man looked vaguely familiar he's that preacher who made the news remember grover asked oh yeah i did remember now we'd seen him on tv a couple of times at yancey academy dorm he was this annoying televangelist from upstate new york who raised millions of dollars for orphanages and then got caught spending the money on stuff for his mansion like gold plated toilet seats and an indoor putt putt golf course he died in a police chase when his lamborghini for the lord went off a cliff well that's crazy <laughs> i said what are they doing to him special punishment from hades grover guessed the really bad people get his personal attention as soon as they arrive the few the kindly ones will set up an eternal torture for him the thoughts of the furies made me shudder i realized i was in their home territory now old mrs dodds was licking her lips with anticipation but if he's a preacher i said and he believes in a different hell grover shrugged who says he's seeing this place the way we we are seeing it humans see what they want to see they're very stubborn or persistent that way yes yeah, so Well, you see, this is a fact, I guess, according to the myths, that who says he's seeing this place the way we are seeing it? I mean, maybe the preacher, or maybe he was a Christian preacher, maybe he is seeing hell a lot of differently, or underworld, or after death, wherever they go, they believe in. 
they go there he's seeing that to his perspective he's viewing that so what we learn from here is that not only greeks are present right well that's a story for another time and if i continue and podcast for such a long time then i'll surely get to the percy jackson and the heroes of olympus series where you will find out that there are a lot of other stuff underneath only the greeks like it's crazy it's crazy it's crazily amazing i love this we got closer to the gates the howling was so loud now it shook the ground at my feet but i still couldn't figure out where it was coming from then about 15 meters in front of us the green mist shimmered standing just where the path split into three lanes was an enormous shadowy mound monster i hadn't seen it before it was half transparent like the dead until it moved it blended with whatever was behind it only its eyes and teeth looked solid and it was staring straight at me my jaw hung open all i could think was he's a rottweiler i'd always imagined cerebrus as a big bad mastiff but he obviously was a purebred rottweiler except of course that he was twice the size of a woolly mammoth mostly invisible and had three heads most of you must have heard the story of cerebrus right like the dog hercules trained or something maybe you heard about of it if you have heard about hercules or if you know about the tasks he did that like 12 tasks so one of them was bringing cerebrus from hades to the mortal world i know still well i don't like hercules you know why it's somewhere along i guess book 3 why i don't like hercules percy jackson book 3 titans curse I mean that's not true but I've never liked Hercules. He's like egostatic maniac whatever. Until it moved it blended with whatever was behind it only its eyes and teeth looked solid and it was staring right at me. My jaw hung open. Oh we've done this part I'm sorry. Okay. The dead walked right up to him no fear at all. The attendant on duty lines parted on either side of him. The as dead spirits walked right through his front paws and under his belly which could do even without the crouching. I'm starting to see him better. I muttered, "Why is that?" I think Annabeth moistened her lips, I'm afraid it's because we're getting closer to being dead. The dog's middle head craned towards us. It sniffed the air and growled. It can't smell the living. I said, "But that's okay," Grover said, trembling next to me because we have a plan. Right, Annabeth said. I never heard a voice sound quite so small. A plan. We moved towards the monster. The middle head snarled at us, then barked so loud my eyeballs rattled. Can you understand it? I asked Grover. Oh yeah, I can understand it. What's it saying? I don't think humans have a four-letter word that can translate exactly. I took the big stick out of my backpack of the bedpost I had broken off Krusty's Safari Deluxe floor model. I held it up and tried to channel the happy dog thoughts to a cerebrus, Alpha commercials, cute little puppies, fire hydrants. I tried to smile as like I wasn't about to die. Hey, big fella! I called up. I bet they don't play with you much. Growl. Good boy. 
I said weakly. I waved the stick. The dog's middle head followed the movement. The other two heads strained their eyes on me, completely ignoring the spirits. I had Cerebrus's undivided attention. I wasn't sure that was a good thing. Fetch! I threw the stick into the gloom. A good solid throw. I heard it go kersploosh in the river sticks. Cerebrus glared at me, unimpressed. His eyes were baleful and cold. So much for the plan. Cerebrus was now making a new kind of growl, deeper down in his three thoughts. Um, Percy? Yeah, I just thought you'd want to know. Yeah? Cerebrus, he's saying that we got ten seconds to pray to the god of our choice. After that, well, he's hungry. Wait! Annabeth said. She started riffling through her back. Uh-oh, I thought. Five seconds. Do we run now? Annabeth produced a red rubber ball the size of a grapefruit. It was labeled waterlanddenver.co. Before I could stop her, she raised the ball and marched straight up to Cerebrus. She shouted, See the ball? You want the ball, Cerebrus? Sit! Cerebrus looked as stunned as we were. All three of his heads cocked sideways. Six nostrils dilated. Sit! Annabeth called again. I was sure that any moment she would become the world's largest milk-bone dog biscuit. But instead, Cerebrus licked his three sets of lips, shifted on his haunches, and sat, immediately causing a dozen spirits who have been passing underneath him in the s death line. <laughs> the spirits made muffled hisses as they dissipated like the air let out of tires. Annabeth said, good boy. She threw Cerebrus the ball. He caught it in the middle mouth. It was barely big enough for him to chew, and the other head started snapping at it the middle, trying to get the new toy. Drop it, Annabeth ordered. Cerebrus's head stopped fighting and looked at her. The ball was wedged between two of its teeth like a tiny piece of gum. He made a loud, scary whimper, then dropped the ball. Now slimy and bitten nearly in half at Annabeth's feet. Good boy. She picked up the ball, ignoring the monster spit all over it. She turned towards us. Go now. S deadline. It's faster. I said, but now. She ordered in the same tone she was using on the dog. Grover and I inched forward warily. Cerebrus started to growl. Stay. Annabeth ordered the monster. If you want the ball, stay. Cerebrus whimpered, but stay where he was. What about you? I asked Annabeth as we passed her. I know what I'm doing, Percy, she muttered. At least I'm pretty sure. Grover and I walked between the monster's legs. Please, Annabeth, I prayed. Don't tell him to sit again. We made it through. Cerebrus wasn't any less scary looking from the back. Annabeth said, good dog. She held up the tattered red ball and probably came to the same conclusion I did. If she rewarded Cerebrus, there'd be nothing left for another trick. She threw the ball anyway. The monster's left mouth immediately snatched it up, only to be attacked with a middle head while the right head moaned in protest. While the monster was distracted, Annabeth walked briskly under its belly and joined us at the metal detector. How did you do that? I asked her amazed. Obedience school, she said breathlessly, and I was surprised to see that there were tears in her eyes. When I was little at my dad's house, we had a doberman. Never mind that. Grover said, tugging at my shirt. Come on! We were about to bowl through the S-death line when the Cerebrus moaned pitifully from all the three mouths. Annabeth stopped. She turned to face the dog, which had done a 180 to look at us. Cerebrus panted expectantly, the tiny red ball in pieces in a puddle of drool at his feet.
good boy, Annabeth said, but her voice sounded melancholy and uncertain. The monster's head turned sideways as if worried about her. I'll bring you another ball soon, Annabeth promised faintly. Would you like that? The monster whimpered. I didn't speak dog to know Cerebrus was still waiting for the ball. Good dog. I'll I'll come and visit you soon. I I promise. Annabeth turned to her. Let's go. Grover and I pushed the metal detector, which immediately screamed and set of flashing red lights. Unauthorized possessions. Magic detected. Cerebrus started to bark. We burst through the S-Death gate, which started even more alarms blaring and raced into the underworld. A few minutes later, we were hiding out of breath in rotten trunk of an immense black tree as security gouts scuttled past, yelling for backup from the Furies. Grover murmured, Well, Percy, what have we learned today? The three-headed dust prefer red balls over sticks? No, Grover told me, we've learned that your plans really, really bite. I wasn't sure about that. I thought maybe Annabeth and I both had the right idea. Even here in the underworld, everybody, even monsters, needed a little attention once in a while. I thought about that as we waited for the girls to pass. I intended not to see Annabeth wipe a tear from her cheek as she listened to the mournful kneeling of Cerebrus in the distance, longing for his new friend. Wow, it was... It was... Emotional at the end. Yeah. Wow, I can feel goosebumps. Annabeth made a new friend, even it's with the monster dog, but still. She's a good she's a good person. She really is. I really like Annabeth. Well and Percy likes her. Well, that's that's a story for another time. But yeah, Annabeth has to go through a lot of trouble, drama, a lot of, throughout, throughout, literally throughout the epic series, like all the series of the Percy Jackson fandom, like every book, she is like, okay, so that's enough for today, we'll see each other or hear each other or one time it's a monotone but but we'll meet meet next thursday where we learn that percy's actually wrong with hades not taking the lightning bolt it was it because they learn sort of the truth because you won't believe that that we find the lightning bolt in the next chapter and where we find it where we find it that's the most amazing thing. Okay? See. <laughs> Sorry. See you next episode. Thank you.